we've been going through a series called War of the Worldviews, <clears throat> and it's been a little dense, been a little heady, a little philosophical, and it's going to continue to be that, and I hope that it's been challenging to you and enlightening, illuminating to you to understand what you believe and why. I want to say that for anyone that's watching who is a follower of Jesus, it's, it, it is great to have faith and trust and believe in Jesus, but there's some value, some great value in knowing not just what you believe, but also why, okay? Not just knowing what you believe, but also why. And building those foundations so you understand the, the, the foundation that your faith rests upon so that, like Peter says, we can give an answer for the hope that's within us. Because our posture as Christian people, as followers of Jesus in the middle of this world, is not just to be consumers, but we are contributors. And so you can be a consumer by just knowing what you believe, but to be a contributor, you need to know why. Because when someone says, why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you think this way? Why do you affirm these values in the face of what culture or society is saying is true or false or good or bad or whatever? Why, why, why? And we need to be able to answer those questions. So that's why we're talking about worldview. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're listening in on this message, man, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. And I pray that this gives you some insight into what Christians think, what they believe, and why, and helps you to understand the, the potential of God reaching out to you, calling you to belief, and calling you to faith in Christ. So we're talking about worldview. Really quick, I want to recap just a tiny bit in case someone is just leaping into the series with both feet, uh, <clears throat> jumping in for the first time. That worldview is the lens through which you view life, and that lens impacts everything you think, that you believe, and that you do. It's not necessarily, your worldview doesn't change reality, but it's how you perceive reality, and it, and it shapes, and it either is giving you a clear picture or it's distorting it, right? And because of that, it really matters. We want an accurate worldview. It's like having a windshield uh, I don't, we, the other day, our, our windshield wiper actually came loose, the, the, the rubber you know, part of it, the insert, and it was, happened to be raining. This is back in the spring, not recently, but back in the spring, it came loose, and we didn't have clarity in our windshield, so we immediately went to the place where we could get it replaced, right? Because you don't want to be driving around not being able to see out of your windshield. Can I get an amen to that? Like, you don't want that. And so with a worldview, it's the same. You don't want a, a dirty worldview, a distorted uh, worldview that's not giving you a clear, accurate picture of life. And so we're, we're asking God in this series, and we're exploring the way he thinks or a biblical worldview to help us get our thoughts cleared up. Isaiah 55, 8 talks about this. This is the Lord speaking through this prophet to his people. He says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome says this, don't copy the customs and behaviors of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Okay, everybody tap on their head. I need a new way of thinking, a new lens. I need to get my thoughts upgraded to be more like what God sees, what he thinks, how he operates. Paul says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's like God's will getting better and better and better for your life uh, we, we need to connect with his thoughts, though, and let him change how we think. So this is what we're talking about when it comes to worldview, getting these, the lenses of our life aligned with reality. Now, regardless of whether you are a follower of Jesus or you are a, uh, a person of a different faith or religion or you're an agnostic or an atheist or whoever, or you don't classify yourself, whatever that may be, every worldview has to answer three fundamental questions, what we call the big three. And we've been going through these over the past few weeks. 
They're woven together, interconnected, and every worldview is simultaneously answering them and pursuing the answer to these questions. And these are the questions. Number one, what is real? This is the question of ultimate reality. If you go back a few weeks, I did a message on the Christian perspective, the Christian biblical answer to ultimate reality. We believe in a creator, uh, an intelligent designer, a God who is there, but also is personal, who speaks and uh, speaks into Uh, the areas of truth and morality. The second question is this, what is true? And this is the focus of this week and last week and probably a couple more weeks because this is really the the linchpin of worldview is this truth question. And then what is right, which is the question of ethics and morality. So once we know what is real, once we determine what is true and we, we, we go through the logical implications of reality, then that leads us to how we actually live, which are the ethical implications, okay? Hopefully you're following with me. So today, though, our focus is going to remain on truth. And I love this quote by G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite authors. If you really want to learn the lost art of critical thinking, I encourage you to read Chesterton. He said this, Merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind is the same as of opening the mouth, to shut it again on something solid. How many of you are like, man, I'm tweeting that today. That quote is good. Because right now in culture open-mindedness, and really over the past decade, open-mindedness has been celebrated as a virtue. Well, that person is, they're really open-minded. Okay, open-mindedness, as Chesterton is giving us a very good nugget of truth here, is really good insofar only as much as it leads us to shut our mind again on when we lock down on what is true. Some people have such an open mind that their brain fell out. They've accepted things about the world that are logically incompatible. They are accepting something as true and something as false that cancel each other out and they haven't thought through it because their mind is so open, their brain fell out. What Chesterton is saying is, man, we want to have an open mind. That's great. But the idea of open-mindedness is that you would find truth. That's something that is real, something that is true, something that is right. And then you would close your mind. Now, it doesn't mean that you become bigoted and hard and I won't listen to anyone and I'll never learn. That's not what he's saying. But there are things that when we discover them, like the scripture says, buy the truth and sell it not. When you find the pearl of great price, as Jesus talked about, you buy the field and you sell everything else and you go after that truth. When you connect with truth that we're going to talk about that sets you free, you don't go, oh, well, I'm just going to open my mind and let it dribble out. No, when you find the truth, you hold on. And that's what Chesterton's talking about. Come on, this is good. Jesus said in John 8, 31, you're my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. This is something we need to get for Christians. Listen, if you're not a Christian right now, you just, just spectate, just listen in, okay? Because I want to talk to the Christians. I want to talk to the followers of Jesus. Jesus says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Listen, right now there's this pull to take people away from the teachings and the truth of Jesus and put something else in their place and say, oh, I'm still a Christian. I'm a Christian, but I'm not faithful to the teachings of Jesus. Christians, by definition, are faithful to the teachings of Jesus. Without being faithful to the teachings of Jesus, we have left the, 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 the scope of being a follower or a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 32 of John chapter 8, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There is a level of life that is only possible as we remain faithful to the teachings of Jesus, even when we're being pulled to the left, pulled to the right, lies so clever they sound like truth as it talks about in Ephesians. And we will know, but when you know the truth, when you remain faithful to the teachings of Jesus, the truth sets you free. 
you fly the friendly skies, you're able to, as we talked about in our previous series, zoom out of it all because you're connected to something that, that takes you beyond the winds of change, blowing and culture, all of that. Now, all that being said, here's the reality we live in. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're someone else, someone believes something else, for all of us, we're living in very confusing times. And I've heard people say this, man, I don't know what to believe. Like I, I read this article. Even right now, this is what's insane is that in our culture, people on both sides of particular issues, like specifically with medicines to treat COVID or whatever, uh, are going, well, the science is clear and it says this. But then there's another article where the science is just as clear that says something else. So now we don't even have scientific objectivity. Science now has become, and medicine have now become politicized issues. And so many people that over the past 10, 15, 20 years were able to say, well, I just, whatever is scientific, whatever is empirical, that's where I sort of drop my anchor. That's where my foundation of truth is. Where are you at now? Because that is, not, that is no longer something you can stand on. Because I can find science to support whatever viewpoint I want to support. And I know you know that I'm right on this. And we live in these confusing times. This big problem that we face, and it's kind of popular a few years ago, this idea of fake news. Okay, well, there's fake news. People are posting this as a real news report. It's not real. It's not true. How do we find out what's true? And everyone has their fact checker or whatever. It's a big debate. It's even being debated in at the highest levels of government right now. Congress, literally, they were having hearings with Mark Zuckerberg and these people asking, well, how do you determine if this political party says this and then do you take it down? And they're fighting these battles. Where's the balance? Where's the line of free speech? And can you say this? Can you say that? But listen, this is not new. It's been going on forever. People have accepted uh, messages from messengers through mediums based on trust or based on their presuppositions for generations. Let me tell you a funny story. Back in 1938, okay, this is a tiny bit before my time, just a little bit. 1938, on the evening of October 30th, CBS radio began broadcasting a live action presentation of H.G. Wells' novel, War of the Worlds, replete with realistic sound effects and live reporting. Scholars of the event believe that many people tuned into the broadcast late, missing the introduction explaining it was a fictional work because a popular music program had just ended on another station. To the credit of Orson Welles and his broadcast team at CBS, many people believed they were listening to a live news broadcast and reacted accordingly. Now, if you're not familiar with War of the Worlds, it's a story about Martians invading this planet, and they come in these big machines, and they're getting out, and there's laser beams, and people are being roasted. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's like alien invasion. So people are hearing this. They tune in, and they're hearing, hey, this is your action news reporter, and da-da-da-da-da. We're reporting this live event, and there's sound effects, and they're hearing, doo-doo-doo you know, pew, pew, pew. They're hearing stormtroopers or whatever. And, and they're going, oh my gosh, we're being invaded by aliens. This is 1938, okay? And you go, oh man, they're so primitive, these people. No, I guarantee you this could happen today. And a lot of people would be excited about it. They're like, I knew it, I knew it. Luke Skywalker's coming, he's gonna save us. Okay. So people acted accordingly. They accepted the presentation as reality and panic ensued. Now, Wells admitted that they intended to give the impression of a live news event, and they succeeded. It must have been wonderfully exciting, but many people were very upset. I love it. That, many people were very upset. Yes, many people were upset. Why? Because they accepted the messenger, they accepted the medium, and therefore they accepted the message. Let me say that again. They accepted the messenger, they accepted the medium, and they accepted the message. And they acted accordingly. And this is what happens. When you accept the messenger, when you accept the medium, you accept the message. And people right now 
we're fighting about these issues. Regardless of what side of a political divide you're on or your opinions or whatever, everyone has an opinion. We're all experts in our own opinion. Uh, and we act accordingly based on what we believe is truth. But what's crazy today is we're getting bombarded with messages from a variety of mediums, which we call media, social media, the news media, friends, family, coworkers, even total strangers. And it's this blizzard of ideas, this blizzard of opinions, just washing over us, coming at us all the time. Oz Guinness, in his book, Fool's Talk, he said this, human in interconnectedness in the global era has been raised to a truly global level with unprecedented speed and on an unprecedented scale. Everyone is now everywhere and everyone can communicate with everyone else from anywhere and at any time, instantly and cheaply. Communication through the social media in the age of email, text messages, cell phones, tweets, and Skype is no longer from the few to the many, as in the age of the book, the newspaper, and television, but from the many to the many and all the time. This is the world we live in. We live in a world that is bewildering with the amount of communication and ideas and opinions and how free we can share that. Now, there is a side of that which is wonderful and beautiful and incredible, and then there is the ugly side of it, which many of us recognize where we, with disgust, turn off our phone and go, man, I shouldn't even be on Facebook right now. Man, I shouldn't even be looking at this right now because you're so triggered. You're so mad because somebody disagrees, somebody shared their view, whatever. So how do we deal with this? Like, where do we find truth? And what I want to talk about today is that more is required. You, you can't, right now, where, with this reality that we're living in, and I'm not giving a, a statement about the merit of it, because it just is. You know, you go, well, I don't like social media. Well, I'm sorry, welcome to the 21st century. This is the world we live in. So as followers of Christ, we can put our head in the sand and go, I'm off Facebook, I'm not going to be on Facebook. Or we can say, no, I need to be a messenger on the mission field of my generation. I need to be... Uh, I need to know what I believe and why in the context of the world that I live in, not looking for some other pastime or whatever, but I need to, I need to be in, an engaging disciple of Jesus and a, and a witness for Christ in my generation in the, in the context I find myself. But in the midst of all of this, we need a point of reference. We need something uh, to measure and to weigh truth. And I would call this, we need an authority. We need something that says, this is what's true. When you go to the left, when you go to the right, there's something that brings it back into balance. This is what is true. Now, let me give you an example of this from Scripture. It says in Acts chapter 17, that very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. This is a city, and Paul and Silas are missionaries, Christian missionaries, pre presenting the gospel. And when they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. So these are people that are following the Jewish faith. They are being faithful to God as he has been revealed to them up to this point historically. And the people of Berea were more open-minded, which is good, right, than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. But they weren't so open-minded that their brains fell out. And here's what I want you to see. It says, they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. So they had a level of revelation of God. The scriptures, which for them would have been the Torah, would have been the law, the prophets, the, what we call the Old Testament, or at least a portion of it. They are searching through there, and what we see here is an example of someone receiving a messenger, receiving a message through a particular medium, and going, how do I test it? How do I see if it's truth? And what they did is they went to the scriptures. So we see here the scriptures presented as an authoritative reference point. In other words, a calibration. How do we determine what is true? And this is what we need in our day and age, just as much as they needed it then, an authoritative reference point. 
Recently on our vacation, we took the kids uh, up to Crater Lake. And if you haven't been to Crater Lake, I encourage you to go. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Many of you, you know, Oregonians, we celebrate it. We love it. It's, it's beautiful. It's just, it's mesmerizingly beautiful. And at Crater Lake, you know, the, if you've been there, there's several hundred feet down to the lake. It's this massive crater uh, filled with water. And it's incredible because in the 1850s, there was an expedition and they actually went through and they surveyed the lake and they actually did depth finding and they dropped this, this line down on a weight and they determined that the lake was about 1,900 feet deep. And they were accurate within, I think, 30 or 40 feet of our modern uh, laser, you know, uh, laser uh, technology for finding the depth. So they did this incredible thing. But how did they determine, how did they chart the lake? What they did is they had someone go to a, a lookout point on one side of the lake. They had someone go up to a high point, another lookout point, and they triangulated, they, they calibrated. It's phenomenal with their surveying equipment. No technology that we have now, no modern technology. This is 1800s they were able to accurately determine where they were on the lake and the depth of the lake because of the, the triangulation points. Okay, so these calibration points where they, were, where they were able to calibrate from were both higher up at a higher perspective and they had a clear view of what the people at the lake level were trying to determine. Now, I want you to hear what I'm saying here. They were both, one, higher up, okay? They had a higher perspective and they were able to clearly see the bigger picture clearly see what those on the lake were trying to accomplish. And but this team of people was able to very accurately get the depth sounding and very accurately chart the lake, where the depth was at each point in the lake, which is incredible for the 1800s. This is exactly what we need when it comes to finding the depth. Where is truth? Where do my feet land in our day and age? We need a perspective that is both higher up and that can clearly see that which we are interacting with. See, in the middle of this bewildering blizzard of information, ideas, concepts, worldviews, politics, emotions, everything, we're in the soup and you, it's hard to get your depth and it's hard to see what is accurate and so you need a higher perspective that can see everything. We need that standard by which we measure truth. That is what we are in pursuit of. That's what we're talking about today. And we call this an authority or an authoritative reference point. Now, what does this mean? It just means it's a standard of measurement. Again, how do we determine something is true. Uh, an idea of an authority is like a ruler. A ruler shows you how long an inch is, how long is a meter, right? These are important questions. They matter in life when it comes to measuring things. I mean, what would happen if your builder, if you hired a builder to build you a new house, they didn't care about authoritative reference points. They're like, an inch? Yeah, you know, it's about that. And I know most, uh, most if I do something, that's how I do construction. But a good builder they, they, they measure twice, they cut once, right? They use an authoritative reference. They go, no, if it's supposed to be three inches, it's three inches, not three and a quarter inches. If it's supposed to be six feet, it's six feet, not six and a half. Close does not count here in these types of things. You have a potential disaster there. Now, historically, throughout time, in every culture, weights and measures were always regulated in cultures because if you go to a marketplace and you're like, well, I want to trade this one you know, piece of gold that weighs this much for the spices, these spices that you're selling, and, and the person tried to cheat and say, well, they give you half the weight of the spice for that gold, that was a highly illegal, usually punishable with a pretty crazy punishment in so many cultures, including in biblical times. Even God himself is like, I detest dishonest weights and measures. There, there's something about needing to get authoritative reference points. These are a big deal. And I want you to think about in your day and age, imagine you go to your job, you work for an entire month and they've agreed with you that you're to be paid 
$20 an hour for your time. So you put in your time, and at the end of the month, you get your paycheck, and it's significantly less. You go to your boss, you say, hey, what's going on? And he goes, well, you know, we just measure, we measure $20 differently than you, right? And you go, uh, come again? <laughs> what? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, $20, really, I mean, you worked, I mean, if we look at your time, we measure it, and they change the reference, how many of you know that's going to be a problem, right? Because we agree, no, I agreed for $20 one hour, and so you're giving me 16 that's not right. And we get pretty upset about that. And that is what an authoritative reference point is, a measurement, and this is where worldviews get into conflict, because we measure things differently. If you are a Christian follower of Jesus, there's a different authoritative reference point, those high points looking down, calibration on truth than someone else. Now, here's where it gets kind of sticky, is that in our day and age, we, we've gotten very comfortable to let truth be kind of truth-ish, close to truth. This is kind of truth, and maybe that's true, and I'm still on it. We say things like this, really cute, like, I'm on a journey. I'm on a journey. Well, what the heck does that mean? If you never get there, you're just a bad driver, right? If you're on a journey, get to the destination. Again, go back to what Chesterton said. Have an open mind, but shut it again on something solid. But we celebrate this, don't we? Well, I'm just, I just don't know. I'm just, I'm just discovering. Yeah, but if you never discover anything, you're wasting your time and your life. And it actually has implications. Being on a journey, it's like with my children. There are questions I've got to answer today. Hey, Dad, what's for lunch? Well, I'm on a journey. We're going to have anarchy in our house. You think Portland's bad? You watch our house if we don't have lunch on time. Come on, somebody. That's funny. All right. So if your authority does not conform to reality, if you don't have a, a reference point, you, you, you live in this place of cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. You have no peace, no hope. You, you, your brain is split. Now, I, I had a young man that I was discipling many, many years ago, and I had a conversation with him, and he wanted to go back on a, a deal that we'd made, go back on his word. And I said to him, well, tell me the basis of why you would feel okay. Because uh, he was saying, well, I don't feel bad about it. And I said, well, why would you not feel bad? I said, maybe I will release you from this commitment, but why would you not feel bad? He said, well, things change. I, I just don't feel what I felt then. When I made this commitment, I don't feel that now. And I said, okay, so feelings for you are your authority. So basically, whatever you feel in any moment is what is like, that's what you go with. And we had that conversation. Now, Ultimately, thank God, he, he shifted away from that because that is a very destructive way to live where your reference point is just how I feel, what I think, what, what seems true-ish to me today. You're going to be, uh, you're going to get wrecked. So when we go into the Christian worldview, for us, the scriptures are the authoritative reference point for truth. Now, I want to tell you something. One of the ways I study, I'm going to let you guys get behind the curtain here in the Great and Powerful Wizard of Oz, okay? Step behind the curtain here. When I do a sermon series, I always write down a couple of statements. Like at the bottom of my notes, I'll say, what's the big idea? What do I want? And one of the things I wrote down, so if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. One of the things I wrote down at the bottom of these notes for this entire series, for every message is this. I, my goal is to help Christians think like Christians. That's it. My goal is to help Christians think like Christians. If you're not a Christian, I hope that you learn to love Christ. I hope you lean into Christ. But the reality is really this series, <clears throat> I, I'm actually wanting Christians to think like Christians because it's so damaging. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian and you actually have a real faith and a real hope and a real life and a real relationship with Christ, but you don't think like a Christian, and I'm going to fill in the blanks on this, you, you don't actually look at the scripture as your authority for what you should think of and, and do about issues in culture. 
you are going to get wrecked because you are living in cognitive dissonance. And going back to what Jesus said, you have to remain faithful to the teachings of Jesus to be a Christian. We don't get to pick and choose what we like and don't like about the scriptures. Bethany and I were talking about this recently. A lot of the Bible makes us very uncomfortable because the standards and the the things that are there, and it, it makes us uncomfortable on a personal level, but also as we are witnesses for Christ, but at the bottom level, the, the scripture is my authority. It's my authoritative reference point. So let's talk about this. Even when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, if you're not familiar with this story, Jesus got baptized, he goes out into the wilderness, and he's fasting and praying for 40 days. Satan comes to him, he says, hey, why don't you turn these rocks into bread? And Jesus doesn't say, you know, Satan, look, philosophically, the teachings of Aristotle, da, 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 da. he doesn't do that. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written. And what is he expressing? My foundation of truth, my baseline of truth is what the scriptures say. And Jesus responds three times to three temptations with the words, it is written. That represents Jesus' commitment to the scriptures as the authoritative reference point for truth. Now, as followers of Jesus, there are really two, and I could even say three, but I'm only going to talk about two today, primary ways that we discover, interact, and calibrate truth. Okay, and remember, we're talking about this bewildering blizzard. It sounds like a, an episode of some show, the bewildering, bewildering blizzard of information and things coming at us, ideas all the time. So how do we process through that as followers of Jesus? Number one, we, we discover truth through the Bible, Okay, the Bible. And you go, man, this like sounds kind of outdated. Like you're preaching the Bible 100%, and I will till the day I die. And Joy Church will always be based on the Bible. We're not going to grow past this. We're not going to get more mature than the Bible. You don't get more mature than that. You don't get more uh, intelligent. There isn't a wise philosophy that takes us away from Scripture as our authoritative reference point. As followers of Jesus, we either believe and accept the Scriptures and the Bible, or we've left that we've lost our mooring and we're moving off, off, off course. Now, the Bible is what we call propositional revelation. And this is, it sounds fancy, it sounds kind of hard to understand, but it's not. Here's what it means. It means that, that the Bible contains statements about God, statements about the world, and statements about human beings. These are all revealed in the Bible. And they, they give us, these statements are the reference point for truth. Just like Jesus said, it is written, Okay. Now, here's what a proposition is. The definition, very simply, is this. A proposition or statement is a sentence which is either true or false, okay? So someone says, this car is red, this car is green. It's either true or false, okay? Now, remember that dress, that dress thing that was out on social media a while ago, the viral thing where some people saw yellow, some people saw blue? The reality, though, is that if you were to take that dress and take it into a particular place, it had a color. Now, I know there's things with light and somebody will comment, no, no, you don't understand light. Okay, whatever. Have fun with yourself. So, but there is objective reality uh, about things, even if we perspect per, uh, in our perspectives don't observe them, okay? But there are objective realities. So a proposition is just saying a sentence that is either true or false. If a proposition is true, then we say its truth value is true. If a proposition is false, its truth value is false. Now, the scriptures give us propositions or statements, sentences with information, Okay about God, the universe, and us as human beings, and it creates for us a framework of truth, which answers the big questions, okay? Now, when I say a framework of truth, think about a house. When you see a house get framed up, 
Okay, it doesn't necessarily have the roof on it, the walls on it. It doesn't have the wallpaper. It's not filled with people and with food and all the stuff that it will be. But the frame is in place, the framework. And would you say, yes, that is a house. And I observe the shape and the structure and the scope, even though I know there's more to come. This is what the scripture does for us is it gives us a framework of truth by which we hang our overlay of the particulars of life. Okay, are you following with me here? And that's what uh, the scripture does. It answers the big questions. And then through knowing Jesus and our own experiences of life, we fill in the blanks, right? We fill in the details. So for example, let me give you an idea. So some people have a mistaken view of scripture in the Bible. They're like, well, the Bible tells us everything we need to know about life. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. How dare you say that? Well, no, the Bible's a framework. So for example, the Bible doesn't tell us the boiling point of water. You know, at 1 John 4 to the boiling point of water at, you know, sea level is this temperature. No, it doesn't tell us that. And number one, the scripture isn't even intending to give us those types of details about life because the, but what the scripture does do is it tells us why the universe works in a predictable way. So it says, hey, there's a God who's intelligent. He created everything. Therefore, you should find intelligibility and a rational universe at work. You should find that the machine operates according to set rules, principles, mechanisms, which we call the laws of science, the laws of physics, okay, because there's a creator God. So there's a reason why the universe is reasonable. Does that make sense? Hopefully that makes sense to you, but it doesn't tell us the boiling point of water, but you can discover that predicated or based on the fact that the framework of truth is in place that the scripture gives us. Another example is like, if you ever see a Pixar thing or a, a Disney movie where they have the, the models, uh, the 3D models, they'll have an actor who's acting out this thing that's gonna be fleshed out in animation and they'll be wearing these like skin tight suits with these golf ball looking things on them. And there are little points of where the light reflects off of. And that when you see that, how it's reflected in the computer, the computer gets these points of, life, it, uh, points of light and it builds the framework and then they layer over the animation over the top of it. This is what the scripture does for us. Now you go, well, does the scripture only give us the big answers? No, it, it, it does go into detail on certain things. But if you're reading the Bible for that, you're going to miss out on what it really is, which is this framework of truth, the propositional revelation, the statements about God, about life and human beings. As I said in a previous message, Christian worldview is very simple. Number one, it starts with creation. There's a God. He created everything. Number two, the fall. Human beings, we fell away from the image of God. We were broken because of our sin. Number three, uh, um, redemption in Christ, that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins to bring us back to relationship. And then number four, restoration where God comes back. The scripture, those are the four big points of the Christian worldview, the, the, the overlay, if you will, of history and what God is up to in the world. And the Bible gives us all the information we need to know God, to, to connect with him and to connect with reality in this universe that we call home. So the Bible is our authoritative reference point, the scriptures giving us this framework of truth. But then number two, as Christians and followers of Jesus, we also discover truth through a relationship with Jesus, okay? And this is an experience and a relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, because it's not uh, enough just to know the scriptures. There are people that know the Bible inside and out, but they have not engaged with truth in a personal experiential way by having a relationship with Jesus, and they're left high and dry. Though their knowledge might be accurate, their experience of life, which is part of what it means to be human, is missing the mark here. So the scriptures give us propositions about who Jesus really is, okay? It's very popular now to say, well, Jesus wouldn't do X, Y, Z, or whatever, but we need to go back to the scriptures and with accuracy say, what do the scriptures t tell us about this person, Jesus, so that we can know him in accuracy and clarity? But we have this relationship with Jesus 
that we live out and experience, but we judge our experience through the Scripture. So I want to be clear that Scripture is preeminent, okay? Scripture is the final authority, not what you think that you heard Jesus say. Because if uh, people have felt like, well, the Lord told me to leave my wife and go run off with Lulu the secretary. Well, let's go to the scripture. Thou shalt not commit adultery, right? And so would Jesus tell you that? No, he wouldn't, right? And this is understanding the character and the nature of God through scriptures propositionally and then fleshing it out in relationship with Jesus. I wish I could go on and on about this, but this is how we encounter, how we discover, interact with truth. John 14, 6, Jesus tells Thomas, his disciple, I am the way, the the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. Jesus is himself the word, and we won't have time to preach about that and go into the theology of this, but if Jesus were alive, he'd be literally, his words to us are, I mean, he is alive, but I'm saying if he were standing here physically with us right now, his word to us and what what he gives to us through the Holy Spirit is literally the word of God, okay? It's one and the same but he is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. John 16, when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So we know truth. We encounter truth in the midst of this blizzard of information. We cling to the scriptures to give us the framework of life and judge our experiences, but we know Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and he guides us into truth And on the basis of these things, we can have confidence and an accurate worldview to live our life and move through. And as we move into questions of ethics and morality, you'll see why this is so valuable. Because right now what's happening is we're talking about questions on social media and cultural issues. People are talking about all these big hot topic, you know, hot button issues. But the problem is that for many followers of Jesus, if you come unmoored from what do the scriptures say, what is the biblical foundation you can actually get the answer right, but you have the wrong foundation, and that's going to lead you astray in in time. It's so incredibly important, Christians, for us to anchor ourselves to how we understand, interact, and determine truth. And we do it through the Holy Scriptures, through the Bible, and we do it through relationship with Jesus. Now, I'm going to go into this in greater detail next week and over the next couple of weeks, but I don't have time to fully flesh it out today. But I want to put those kind of points out there We know truth through the scriptures and through a relationship with Jesus. But as I said, as we get ready to close here today, knowing Jesus is not just an intellectual pursuit. Maybe for you watching today, you're someone who's not a follower of Jesus. Maybe used to be. Maybe right now you're just exploring faith, whatever, and that's great. And I know I was kind of making fun of being on a journey, but it's fine to be on a journey when you're actually committed to truth, right? That's great. When you're on a journey, but you're planning on arriving somewhere, that's great. And if you're that kind of person that says, man, I'm on a journey and I'm searching and I want to find out who God is and is God real and, and, and what's up with this whole thing, I want to tell you that to really connect with truth, you've got to know Jesus. It's not just learning Bible verses. It's not just catechism. It's not just repeating mantras. It's not that. It's not just doctrines and theology. It's knowing Christ in a real way. And that really is what the gospel is, that Jesus died for your sins, for mine. He made a way for us to be reconciled with God. And if we will put our trust and faith in him, he will save us and he will take us on this journey of knowing truth and being set free and knowing God. And it's a wonderful thing. So if that's you today, as we close, I just want to invite you to make this decision right now to be a follower of Jesus, to put your trust and faith in Christ. If that's you and you want to make that decision, just pray this prayer with me. Lord, I confess my sin to you. I know I have not lived up to your standard but I thank you for your grace and mercy. 
revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me, made a way for me to be reconciled with my heavenly Father. I put my trust and faith in you. I believe that you lived, you died, you rose again. You lived to make intercession for me. And I put my faith and trust in you, in you alone. And I choose to follow you and respond as your disciple every day of my life. Give me that grace and I'll follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, appreciate you guys so much. God bless you. Excited to be with you again next Sunday. Let's go jump into our connect groups and we'll see you Wednesday night at 6.30. Have an awesome Sunday.